Hi everyone, I'm Rosie Ward and this is Show Up as a Leader. Prepare to be inspired and uplifted with today's episode. I had such a delightful conversation with Carrie Warburg Block. She is an incredible change maker. She's the CEO and founder of Earthkind. And she is an unlikely disruptor who really challenged an industry that by its very nature is toxic. Carrie discovered that 98% of pest control solutions sold were poison and kill methods. So she set out to invent a better solution, plant-based pest control powered by nature. Carrie was the first to develop, manufacture, and commercialize poison-free rodent and insect repellents for farm and home use with a mission to build a purpose-led company to create change through business. And what's incredible is her efforts have helped decrease consumer reliance on poison and kill-based methods from 98% to 88% nationwide. Her book that just came out, Gathering Around the Table, A Story of Purpose-Driven Change Through Business, is such a wonderful, authentic story. Carrie shares her struggles, ups and downs, and once was on food stamps and all the struggles that she faced and like we all experience feeling like we're not fitting in and the resiliency she showed and really staying true to what she believed in her principles and how that benefited her. And she has great insights on anchoring on purpose for ourselves as well as business and letting ourselves surrender to the challenges that that come our way and really lean into the lessons that they are going to provide us and how they're going to help us grow. Carrie is an example of complete authenticity and she's just incredible. And I think you're going to walk away with so many wonderful nuggets and being inspired. Well, welcome, Carrie. It is so awesome to be with you. And I am super excited because we share the same book anniversary. Now your book, Gathering Around the Table, launched the same day as the one year anniversary of ours. And I was thinking about when we met um, as I was reading your book and just thinking about you and, and how I've gotten to know you over like the last two years. We met at the Conscious Capitalism Conference as part of the founding author's reception. And I remember sitting there with you and with Laura and with Leanne, and we were just, you know, connecting over a glass of wine. And it was just so lovely to have just women and just supporting one another. And that's such the essence of your book. So I'm just super, super excited for you and super happy to have this reconnection with you this morning. Oh, me as well. Me as well. And, and, and having the same publisher, there's, there's a lot of, um, (laughs) amazing juju that goes with that because conscious capitalism is something that we both believe in and and then then it turns out that the launch day was national day for achievers yes Uh, (laughs) i know awesome because we both uh support that as well yeah fantastic well yeah that's 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 just oh the universe working in wonderful ways and, you know, I, I was so engrossed in your book. Like, here's what I so appreciate, and everyone needs to go out and get it. We're going to put it in the show notes and everything, is that, you know, I, as I read books, I'm a highlighter and a tabber. And and yours, but yours was so, I was so engrossed in just the personal story and authenticity of it, right? It, it had a different feel to it, which I loved. And so there wasn't as many like, ooh, tab, like that's a good reference or resource. It was more of, ooh, and then there, the stuff that I highlighted was like, whoa, like this just really struck me. And one of them considering that, you know, we're still battling the pandemic, you know, like 14 plus months later. And 
I will just tell you my overall impression of the book, what I love it. And I think it speaks to the messiness of being human. I think it speaks to what I pulled out of it, the, the word that kept popping in my head, because you talking here about words are popping in your head throughout your journey is resiliency just kept popping into my head, right? And that uh, anyone that thinks that anybody who's been successful has a straight line, you talk about the beautiful curviness line, anyone that thinks that is without bumps and bruises is smoking crack or something because like, I mean, I don't know, I've never smoked crack, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's mythology. And one of the things that you said here that I uh, loved is you said the moral of the story, this was in chapter three, you wrapped it up with said, we can move forward in life by knocking other people down or we can move forward in life by deciding to raise ourselves up. And I just love that because I think in our world today, there's so much of knocking other people down or a scarcity mindset of feeling like if someone else is successful or someone else is doing good things and somehow it means less of our value. So can you just speak a little bit? I don't want you to give away everything, but there's such good nuggets in here. Can you just speak a little bit to that kind of first lesson that you learned? Sure. Let me share a story that um, might illustrate that because this book was very much about storytelling to illustrate how decisions are made from a, from a decision lens of value and purpose. And I discovered that over 80% of decisions were made without considering, hey, well, where do we want to go? What does everybody around us think? How does this affect me or my family or my morals or, you know, any number of things? And um, this is a funny thing happened just yesterday. So this is serendipitous. I have to share this. Uh, I got a call from uh, a sales rep and she said, I love your story so much. We bought your book. We're all reading it as a group, all 25 of us. I said, well, that's really interesting because their boss told me about two years ago, or he told, he told one of the reps, Carrie's fallen in the crack pit, (laughs) fallen in the crack pit. And, and what that referenced was there was a real difficult situation going on. And I rallied the troops, got everybody together. And I said, you know, every single obstacle is really a setup for a comeback in disguise. What aren't we seeing? What aren't we seeing? And people put their thoughts together. And we came up with a path together by gathering around the table that would get us out of this predicament that basically cost my business. I mean, we, we could have been out of business it was, um, I won't, won't go into all the details, but by getting people's thoughts and their hearts involved in it, we overcame. And now looking back, it's amazing because I go from falling in a crack pit to now uh, they're training all of their people to read and understand and learn to look at problems in, in, um, in the same way that I did. And right now during the pandemic, I think that's why the, po- the book is so popular and why we hit the bestseller list because people are creating the new future and they're doing it together. They realize we have to be creative. We have to collaborate. We have to look at the world in a new way because we don't want to go back. Yeah. But we haven't yet quite yet 
move forward. So it's it's a pivotal time for pretty much everybody on this yeah. campus. <laughs> For sure. Well, it's yeah. Hmm, what a concept. Bring people together, include them in the process. And hmm, if the last year has shown us anything, it's that we definitely have to do things differently. And, you know, I'm so sick of the word pivot, yet it's just, it, it's true. And I, I just, I love everything what you said. And we regularly quote Margaret Wheatley, who says, you know, people only support what they've helped to create. And what I love at first, like when I saw the title of your book, I'm like gathering around the table. Well, that's interesting. And then you see it woven though throughout, right? I mean, no matter how big or little, or even if it's in a virtual table, it's really bringing people together because there's collective wisdom when, you know, we all have a little view of life. And when we leverage the collective wisdom of amazing people, amazing things happen. And I think that we don't do that often enough or decisions are made in a bubble with the C-suite who's completely disconnected from what the experiences of other employees having different functions, different roles, you know, different levels of socioeconomic status. So I just so appreciate, yeah, I, I, I so appreciate that. I love that. Um, there's, there's another quote that stood out to me. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just such great storytelling in here and, and I, and I really will say, I do see how you're helping people see how decisions were made. Uh, I didn't know that was the purpose of the book, honestly, when I read it and I was just, oh, I'm reading Carrie's book, but that I can see that. And I love that because it's the thought process. Well, this is, this is what was going through my mind and this is what was happening. This is the external environment, internal environment. And there was a lot of a lot of storms. There were a lot of challenges you faced. There were a ton of stuff going on and there was a lot of chaos. And you talk about, this is actually one of the things I highlight at the end of chapter four, you said, maybe it was possible to surrender in the midst of chaos, but maybe that stillness had to come from the inside instead of the outside. And so I want you to speak to that for a minute, because I think that we get so caught up as a species in the hustle and bustle and the grind, and we don't sometimes take enough time to unplug, to recharge, to, 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 we get uncomfortable with that stillness. So we keep moving because we don't want to have to be with the discomfort with whatever's going on. So can you speak a little bit more to that? Because that was one that also stood out to me that was like, yes. (laughs) Well, that one is pretty fresh, almost like, you know, pulling the scab off because um, I I remember so vividly standing in front of my team, you know, barefaced, (laughs) no makeup, in my sweat saying, okay, we may have a situation on our hands here with COVID. And um, we said, you know, what do you say? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how we're, we're all going to survive this. I can't make any promises. But one thing I do know, if we come together, open our hearts, open our minds, we can create a new future if we need to. Because our orders shut off. There was nothing. And so I kept a really tight pulse on people's um, anxieties because, as you know, being a doctor during this time, there's fear and there's anxiety. And all that I could see that we had some situational anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen next. And that really was a time um, in any crisis. You have to find that stillness because that's all that there is to hang on to. That's it. (laughs) And it really, all you can do is breathe through it. 
and be honest and transparent and share how you feel and what you think, because as, as you know, in emotions, waves can hit you and trying to differentiate what's external and what's internal. And it takes time and it takes practice and it takes really good coaching. Yeah. And you know, your business is a testament to that. It's just so, so important to help people find that center, that vantage point they can make decisions from. Um, one of my favorite phrases around that is, this too shall pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, what it reminds me of is one of my earlier episodes, I interviewed Brian Ungard, who is also a fellow Conscious Capitalism Press author and Chief Purpose Officer at Decurion. And he talks a lot about the, the surrender, right? And it's in a very kind of Zen way of looking at things. But I think the more that we fight what's going on or fight feeling, whether it's anxiety or grief or whatever it is, it almost doubles down and tightens its vice grip, if you will, on us. But when we surrender to it and we just say, okay, this is what it is. And I'm going to lean into it and let myself pause, let myself experience the grief, let myself go through it, right? Because you can't go around it. You go around it. And at some point it's going to bubble up and, you know, explode. You have to go through it. We call that waiting in the messy middle. You have to you have to go through stuff, right? You can't short circuit. But that's what it made me think of is, you know, when we surrender to what's going on, it doesn't mean we surrender like I give up. But when we surrender of stop pretending things are different than they are or wishing they'd be different and saying, okay, this is what it is. Then you have an opportunity to rally, rally your resourcefulness. But you can't do that if you're fighting reality. That is such a good point. And that's really brings me to why... I used Conscious Capitalism Press to publish this book because I had the manuscript approved by other large publishers. And that, you know, really when it gets down to it, it's it's that it's a consciousness. And what what is reality, right? What is reality? And that gets to really gets to the heart of the matter. And it was really important for me in this book, um, in the way that I wrote the book and in who published it the way that I'm promoting it, right, is that each of those opportunities can can open that seed or crack that seed open in somebody that gets fertilized in the right way at the right time. And they go, wow, I can achieve this dream that I have. I can achieve this, this, you know, whatever that might seem impossible. And that was when I would go around and I'd speak to universities the questions and when I saw that seed crack open in people and you you can see it that aha conscious moment that happens and all of a sudden it's like you you have this new life inside you that you just you believe you can do it and it always happened to me when I was telling these transparent stories stories that only I could tell because they were my experience but it opened that up in people and they'd actually change their majors after, after I'd speak at the school, they'd say, you know, I really want to be an entrepreneur because I really want to contribute to humanity. I love that. I really want to change the things that I don't, that I don't like in this world. And they, I, like, I gave them permission, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I love that. And I think that when we give ourselves 
permission to let our light shine and be our authentic selves and show up and, and share, right? Very generously our stories with other people because people connect through stories. We give other people permission to do the same. And, and that's part of one of my goals of the work we do, but this podcast is to, is to help nurture more humanity, the right that we, there's common human condition of us trying to pretend we have it all together, which none of us do. There's common human condition of, you know, feeling all these things, but not wanting to. And I think the more that we talk about it and share our stories and connect with people, we, we can make a huge difference. And so I love that you are inspiring you know, people to shift how they're thinking about it. And we need more people that are going to go out and make a difference in the world versus I'm just going to collect a paycheck because there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to have this world be better for our kids, our grandkids, and even far after we're, you know, on this earth. Yeah. Speaking to um, our youth and people that really want to uplift humanity and make a difference through business, which is what my story is geared to, um, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned right now because the amount of entrepreneurs in, in today's economy is not what it needs to be. It's only 5% of what it needs to be to have a healthy economy. And, you know, we need, we need more businesses and people are scared because the, the big have gotten bigger and it's, there's that's even at a bigger obstacle that can be crushing and in the past entrepreneurs would it was a thing you'd grow your business you'd sell out to a big one well now the big ones have gotten bigger and it makes it even harder for the small businesses to emerge and differentiate themselves and get any kind of size to it i think what five percent of entrepreneurs make it past a million in revenues, most never make it past uh, 30000 It costs an average of $45,000 to start a business. And it still takes four to five years before you can really make a revenue or an income from it. And at the same time, you're risking everything. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. Well, yeah. and you know what I, what I think is, I mean, the thing about small to mid-sized businesses are the lifeblood of this country. And you're right. I think the disparity of the, the giant ones that keep merging and getting bigger and bigger and bigger that are, you know, it's the David and Goliath type of story. Yet uh, so many people that end up working for one of those feel suffocated and are like, I want to go work for a small to mid-sized company because they're more nimble and there's not all this hierarchy and there's not all this red tape and they treat me more humanely in theory, not necessarily, but I think that there's this, this mindset. So I I 100% agree and hope that I hope that your work and your story and your book and what you're doing speaking to college students as well will inspire more people to to think about you know where where can I make a difference and maybe it is you know being an entrepreneur but the other thing I would say is while you geared your book towards that I would say it's bigger than that and I found out I'll this with our book is while ours is called rehumanizing the workplace, what we learned very quickly because it launched at the start of the pandemic was that these five rehumanizing principles that we weave and talk about through our book, they're really universal and they're not just for the workplace. They're principles that we can use as individuals to show up as our best selves and make an impact. They are principles that we could use like with our families, with our community members. And I really think that the way that you tell your story and how you make decisions and the lessons from this book are not just for someone who might go into business. This is for people to really, I think, ground themselves and say, how am I going to navigate these 
stormy waters of life that are completely disruptive and uncertain. How am I going to get back up when I'm absolutely knocked down, face down in the dirt, right? How am I going to hold true to what's going to ground me when people around me are, you know, lobbing judgment at me or telling me I look different or whatever it might be. I think that there's such universal principles here. So I would, my, for whatever it's worth, I would say broaden even how you're thinking about this. Cause while it was initially written for a business like ours and conscious capitalism absolutely is about business, it goes far beyond that. Oh, thank you. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that. I've been hearing some of that in the reviews as well. Um, yeah, people are taught the biggest takeaways that I've heard so far, and it's only been a few weeks since it's been out, but um, <clears throat> resilience, obviously, um, rethinking how we think about how we see things and realizing that, hey, what we see as a result of what we've created maybe years past, but we are totally in control of that. And society has been telling us we're not for a long time, and particularly women. No, we can't speak up. You know, my father said, be seen, not heard. I grew up with that kind of stuff. And he was a very prominent businessman, but that was not in style. And, you know, look at it now. We're at such a beautiful, incredible time right now where diversity and inclusion is so much more embraced. Yeah, for sure. It totally, it just makes us so much stronger and healthier as, um, as humans, you know, one human family. Absolutely. And at the same time, there's work to be done. I mean, I was very fortunate where I grew up with a very strong old mother who was very into the ERA. And so it was always, you know, five girls, my dad didn't have a a prayer, (laughs) five very strong willed women at the same time. It's very interesting because you think about it, you know, I I've had conversations even in our business where with some of our consulting clients, I've positioned it where it's myself and one of our other consultants, who's a male, who's going to work with me because I'm like, we need the yin yang because it's an old school, predominantly middle-aged white male company. And some of them quite frankly, will treat me like I'm their daughter. And it's like, even though it's BS and And there's been multiple times, you know, it's like really that's still a thing like, oh yeah. And I can't tell you how many female leaders I coach and female surgeons that are like, it's a male dominated world and how they had to show up basically coming across as a bitch in order to be taken seriously, but then getting, you know, criticized for it at the same time. Like, and I saw so much of that in your story and I just think (laughs) how much it's still, it is still extremely prevalent. And I just kept seeing myself, you know, yep, as a female and even even listeners who are not a female can probably appreciate it. if you have any female in your life, like they experience this, your daughter, unfortunately is going to experience it. Your sisters, your friends. And so I just think it's, it's an awakening of how we judge people period, whether it's because of your gender or your race or fill in the blank, your political affiliation. So I just, I so appreciate that. And so one of the things you said, and this is another quote that I highlighted from your book, you talked about your know, shifting mindset. And that was another thing that stood out to me. And we, in the work we do, we talk about transforming individuals, teams, and workplaces really from the inside out, that it starts with how we behave is completely based on how we see things. And if we don't help people be more self-aware, reframe things, your, the behaviors aren't going to follow. And so you say this at the end of chapter five, when you're in a state of suffering, reframe how you see it. On the other side, there's some kind of freedom. Sometimes it is the universe screaming at you, making you uncomfortable, so you do something about your situation. And that voice you're hearing, be it a quiet whisper or a booming echo, it's called purpose. You should listen to it. 
And I, I love that for so many reasons. One, we have a rehumanizing principle. The first one we call build a lighthouse, which is really about purpose, but also values. It's, it's anchoring yourself in key behaviors that allow you to live your purpose. And I think I love that so much because I think so many people are trying to figure out where do, where do I bring my gifts into the world and what is my purpose? And I think we can't get to that if we don't let ourselves be still. We can't get to that if we don't let ourselves fall down. Um, so I don't know. I just, I, I love that on so many levels. I don't know if there's anything more you want to say about, about that, but that just, that was a huge one for me. Yeah, that, that, it, that has been the most amazing surprise of building a company. <clears throat> I, got, I got my degree in management and um, when I was 40 and I knew that I, I needed to do this. And I went through a, a university, it was called America's Leadership University, University of Mary run by Catholic nuns. And it was all values-based. So every single class we had, we talked about how we put that into action in the workplace or in our communities, in our homes, in our church. And those same principles really, like you said earlier, do apply in every area of your life, but it's really how you show up. And um, as a leader, I found that's one of the most um, valuable things to people is to help them and how they show up and how they respond to, you know, what's going on around them. And so many people are so scared because it's skills they really haven't learned before. And oh, they've for sure. trained from old bosses or old what it, situations. You can't speak your truth. You can't speak up. You can't be authentic. So showing up as an authentic leader, it can really throw people off. <laughs> Because <laughs> it reminds me, I was out doing store visits and this, I walked into a store and I said, hey, can I talk to your store manager? And he goes, boy, a business must really be tough if the CEO is out like this. <laughs> I said, well, why, what gives you that opinion? Like it's beneath you or something to go visit? Like, Yeah. And, and he said, I've never in all of my 40 years had a CEO come in and thank me for my business. And I don't sell like that much that could even pay for your trip in here. And, and I said, is there anything more important to a business than staying in touch with its customers and saying thank you and, and gratitude? So when, when my employees see that, they start to think like that too. And <clears throat> if there's one thing I've learned as a leader is always putting appreciation or gratitude first. It, it changes the whole, the, the, that's one of your principles, you're looking at the science of it, you know, it, it changes how you see things and how you think about things and how you uh, start to respond. But it's so amazing watching people go through a, you know, a situation, whether it's at home or at work and they're, they're crushed, you're right. They're growing. It's like their seat is cracking open <laughs> and yeah. many people want to quit and they're like, this isn't working out or I need to leave. And, and sometimes they'll leave before they say anything, but it's learning to really catch them early and say, okay, let's find your purpose because then this, this will make a lot more sense. Yeah. Well, Again, I love that on so many levels. And what it makes me think about is how often is the traditional hiring practices in an organization, we have this job wreck and this is the role and they're looking at the function and they're not looking at the person. And what I always say is you have people that might have an official role or job duties of X, Y, Z, 
but there's so much more than that. And they have gifts and talents that could be leveraged in this organization, but you have no idea because you haven't bothered to ask. There's no opportunities. Um, so that that's one, one missed opportunity and hole that I think is very widespread. The other that comes to mind, and this is a lot of the work that we do with organizations and teams of helping them clarify the organization's purpose if they haven't, but then to what you just shared, Carrie, it's helping people find their individual purpose and do they see how it aligns? And I think that even if organizations have done that, it's an ongoing job of the formal people leaders in the organization or the organization itself to have a structure with deliberate practices that on a regular basis helps reinforce and remind people how their purpose and their work aligns to the organization and that they see that connection over and over and over. Because sometimes when what we do has been disrupted, like the pandemic, we can lose sight of the value of what we bring or lose sight of the value that we bring to the organization or, or whatnot. So I, so I so appreciate that. So I'm curious about that. How did you handle that within EarthKind? Because you said like everything was disrupted for you. Orders were stopped during the pandemic. How did you help keep for your people the purpose connection or the purpose alive over this past year plus? So that that's interesting. And I'm so incredibly proud of my my team and my people. And our company has reached heights that we never could have before this pandemic. And um, it, it's really, we, we, we had this thing and uh, we'll be doing our town quarterly town hall, re- recapping everything like where we've been, right? But it's, um, it's not me, it's we. And so all of us together reimagined what we see the future looking like, well, how we really want to contribute. And we came up with this, uh, we decided to call this year the year of the monarch, because it what we saw it very much like a rebirth was happening, right? We were all in this slurry, this goo and like formless almost going, okay, are, are we going to come out? Are we going to get killed off? Or are we going to come out like that monarch butterfly? And the monarch has been a symbol of, of a natural wonder for years because it's so resilient. It, it No insect, no species is that resilient. Every year it goes from <clears throat> Canada all the way down to Mexico. It takes four cycles to get there. No one knows how or why. But the interesting thing is those monarchs live in the trees that provide some of our ingredients for one of our products. So there was really... There was this connection to nature, which is very much, you know, what what we do. We're about living in harmony with nature and one another and all the places we live, work and play. So what does that look like? And so we had routine conversations about this and we came up with our marketing campaign for the years and for the year. And we thought, you know, who, who has really been hit the hardest by this? And we thought teachers, because many of our employees have kids and they had to start homeschooling. It was, de- it was just devastating for them. And so we, we were like, okay, let's give gratitude. We know that that will lift us up. And so everybody started thinking of ways that we could give back to our teachers and help, still help make our purpose happen. And we came up with this Harmony Heroes and it's, it's been an amazing success. It's only been a few months and we're highlighting teachers every month that um, are helping to create those aha moments in students so they can see differently. Um, 
And it's, it's so sad right now how what's happened, you know, the students are social media and it's just, it's just kind yeah. of, there's a lot of chaos out there. And that's one thing about harmony. It's how, how do we create harmony around us instead of disharmony, which is basically chaos. Well, as a parent of a 10 year old, uh, 100% appreciate and, and get that. And what I, one of the things I love about what you're doing, Carrie, is it reminds me of Again, when we're clear on our purpose, it allows us to shift and, you know, there's the word again, pivot, but it allows you to go, how else can we serve this if we can't do what we're used to doing? Or maybe we can do something a different way. And it even made me think of in a previous episode, I interviewed Kristen Hadid and she's been posting on social media about how her company is completely shifting what they do. Student Made was a cleaning company and they are transitioning in the next 30 days to actually become a student leadership development company. Like they, they're like, we don't, that's not the part of the job we like. It was a means to actually develop people. And so talk about doing a complete, complete pivot. And that brings me to another quote in your book, which I highlighted because I was like, yes, if we get clear, right, and ground ourselves or anchor ourselves in that purpose, you said, um, it was a question that you said forever would steer the direction of your future. How far are you willing to go? And you said, it's the kind of question that everybody will be asked in some form or another throughout the course of their lives. Maybe not in so many words and maybe not with such direct intention, but there will come a time, a time when you are asked to choose between your purpose and everything else. And I love that. Um, on multiple levels. And it reminded me of, you were telling the story about even as a business, like turning down an opportunity with a really large retailer. And I'm not going to spoil who it is in the book, but because they they just weren't aligned. And first I've told you, I was laughing my butt off because I will not shop at that retailer ever. And my son is always like, why don't we ever shop there? And I'm like, because they're mean, because they're bullies. Like they have a horrible, like, no, like I, I will not give them and then I laughed. I'm like, the only thing I've ever done is I used to live near one and my sister and I lived near each other and we would go for runs in the morning. And if you're a runner, you know, sometimes you have to take a potty break. I'm like, the only thing I gave that retailer was using their facility. And that was it. <laughs> so I was laughing my butt off. I was like, oh my God, but turning down business. And we've done that um, as well, whether it's with speaking engagements or whether it's with consulting clients or even we have this conference, this Fusion 2.0 conference of being very intentional about who's going to be um, a sponsor or who we're going to let be a vendor. It's all like, if your organization is not rooted in sound science, if your organization does not better humanity, we're not going to take your money. Uh, and and that's hard because you end up with some financial pains that come with that. But at the end of the day, you can hold your head up high and look in the mirror and say, I didn't compromise myself and I'm in integrity. So I just, I love that. I love that so much about you. Well, one of the one of the things with conscious capitalism is it's all about they call it a stakeholder approach. So you consider who are you know all the stakeholders in the business and make sure that they have a seat at the table. And with my company Earthkind, our pests, the insects themselves are a stakeholder, and that's one of those lines in the sand that we drew. They we don't kill them. Our products do not kill them our products work in harmony with them so they can do the work they need to do to pollinate our crops and we'd all be dead in three weeks to three months if there were no insects everything is either either eats an insect or is eaten by an insect 
it's it's huge. If you understand in, insects, you understand how the world works. Um, and I, you know, I learned that from my father and other entomologists. It's it's amazing. So I had a different approach. I'm like, we can't we can't kill the things. Now our business could be. 10 times what it is <clears throat> if we would start selling spray killers because people are so used to spraying the bug. And part of our purpose is to showcase the purpose of the insects. Like for instance, people don't realize, and it's it's a knowledge and an education thing because they, they don't know, nobody's ever told them before. If you kill an ant, right? You give them poison, they go out and they put it in their, their little holes, right? You pretty much just lost your termite control and your stink bug control because 99% of the time they're just, they're outside doing their thing and then that's what they eat. So if you kill them, then you might have to get more toxins in your home to kill the termites. And it's this cycle that goes around and around. And oftentimes it's just a little bit of education that can make a huge difference. So we sell products that keep pests out without killing or poisoning them. And we found this great little niche um, that I discovered being a farm wife. <laughs> Rodents were getting in the tractors and trucks and doing untold devastation. And it was, it was just so crazy and insane and difficult. But yet I refused to use a poison or a trap that could injure the hawks or the eagles or my kids and pets. And so that's how I turned to nature and said, well, hey, what, what can you do to help me here? You know, I'll help you. You can help us. We got we to figure out how to work together. So we've done a lot of scientific research and actually helped create new policy um, that can support more eco-friendly, environmentally friendly um, options. And one of the proudest moments I had was when I learned that eight of the most toxic baits and bars were going to be removed from the market um, because there was now an affordable, effective alternative that met the highest uh, federal level of efficacy, which was our product. Nice. And I was like, you know, that alone is worth everything. Yeah, you know, I watched my father die at 52. He died from cancer and he spent his entire career, you know, selling pesticides and working in big companies and developing them. And uh, I lost my mother at 33. And when you watch somebody you love go through that and, you know, make their transition, it, it changes what, what you value in life. So I, I always knew I wasn't going to build this business, sell it, make a bunch of money <laughs> and let it go to somebody else. I really wanted change. And so with our people too, that's, that's just something we talk about. We, we really want to help people live in harmony with nature. And so it is, it is education. Well, I, I will say I learned a ton reading your book and you know what it made me think of is so my dad grew up in North Dakota. He grew up in the Northwood area. So little town out of Grand Forks and, you know, family all over North Dakota. And it was interesting because speak, you know, so many people in various levels of his family also died of random cancers. And I'm sure I'm like, it, it was all farm. I'm sure it was pesticide stuff. Right. And he, you know, he moved away and moved to Ohio and then in Minnesota and whatnot. And I just, you know, there is so much to be said for environmental. Cause when people say, Oh, does cancer run in your family genetically? I'm like, well, no, but there is this whole side of, I'm sure it was environmental. It, it, it absolutely has to be. And so what I, 
I saw, yeah, you educated me. I was like, oh, who knew that? Right. And I thought I, I was trying to be eco-friendly, but it, it was, it was wonderful. And what I love about your story, and I'm not going to say too much more about this part, but you know, there's a great chapter where you talk about like, you know, um, showing up as yourself and you talk about these pearls and being you or not being you. And it reminds me of there's stories of, uh, that I share of Carly Kammerer, who's the founder of Wildflyer Coffee in, in my book. And we also, I also talk about just when you come into your own and you go, you know what, like I'm getting rid of suits. I'm going to wear what I want to wear and how liberating and freeing and something just as simple as figuring out like who you are from a wardrobe standpoint, who you are of, I'm not trying to look like anybody else. Like this is me. You feel more confident. You you feel more uh, grounded in and whatnot, but I, I want to read one last quote before I ask you some other questions, because I think this is really the essence of your book. And I think this is the final chapter, but you know, with you doing what you did, right, you are a salmon swimming upstream because you're in this market where no one wants to be kind of the earth or they're not thinking about the ecosystem or they're not thinking about that stuff. Right. And so you faced a lot of uphill battles to say the least, right. In, in your journey and, and a lot of things that knocked you down. And I just loved what you put here because I think of everybody who's listening to this, who's been knocked down, who might be currently knocked down, right? Who is experiencing a setback and we wanna just fast forward versus lean into it and surrender and wade through the messy middle. You say, it is the breaking down of a person that prepares them to be built back up stronger than ever. After we are broken down, we realize it's much like evolution, the flow of nature. All things transform through fire, pain, and need, basically. We can either resist it or we can learn to accept it as is, which is rarely how we think it is. I've come to trust that it's all as it's supposed to be and that will all will work in the end. And then you say a few sentences later, I had to learn to let go of emotion in healthy ways. I had to let go of coulda, woulda, shoulda in my vocabulary. I reflect, I journal, I ground myself in the earth, I exercise it off, I think of it like cleansing, purifying. I tell myself all people are good, divine. They may not be acting like that in this moment, so forgive them. They may not always realize what they are doing. I hope they'll do the same for me if I am at a low time in my life. And I just think that speaks to you as a person, but also I just think we could use a lot more of that curiosity empathy and compassion in our world period. And I think you're just setting such a great example. And there's just so many wonderful nuggets in this book that I'm just super excited for you and just super happy for what you're doing. Thank you. So that brings me to, so speaking of that, um, because, you know, this, this book is very much about your growth and as a leader, but also as a, as a entrepreneur and a CEO in your company and I know that is a common human condition that we all still get in our own way. And we all still tell ourselves stories that keep us safe and small. And so a question I like to ask all of my guests, if you've listened to this, you know, this is what is a self-limiting story that you find yourself still telling yourself sometimes, Carrie, and when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life? Well, for me, it's, um, do I really deserve that seat at the table, which is partly why the book is called Gathering <laughs> Around the Table, because, yeah, I sit around there and oftentimes I'm with, um, you know, very powerful people or PhDs and da-da-da-da-da, and, and it's amazing now that I've 
had success. They look at me like I deserve that, but I'm still in my head. I'm still that Carrie that had a D in high school, just working harder, trying harder. So it it really is, do, do I deserve that seat at the table? Yeah. To help myself before that, before I go into any big important meeting, um, I do the power pose like in nature, like animals do lift my hands way up high and just really ground and take a few deep breaths and it will pass. Um, it will pass, nice. but it still shows up its ugly head all the time. Yeah, <laughs> of course it does, but I love it. Right. Uh, well, and what I appreciate is it's really, a, that's about that surrendering, right. And pausing and instead of being reactive, it's like, okay, like, yep, that's a story I'm telling myself right now. And come on, like, you absolutely deserve to be here as much as, or, you know, find your power pose or whatever it might be. So I love that ground yourself in nature. So what is one impactful way that you are showing up as a leader at work these days? And then on the flip side of that, what is one impactful way that you are showing up as a leader in your personal life these days? Sure. So at work, I've been very intentional this year about um, getting in the weeds most of the times, you know, the leaders are supposed to get getting out of the weeds, but I felt that we're in this really critical time right now uh, where I really need to be in there rowing with my people and helping them create these plans. And it's been so amazing. I'm just so proud of them because they've, they've seen it with their own eyes that what we did, what we talked about, how we did it together actually did the impossible it's created the impossible we weren't so much looking at the outcome we were looking at ways to stay on purpose so um that's how i'm showing up this year unfortunately a lot of times it has to be by zoom (laughs) yeah it's our world unfortunately yep yeah yeah so holding hands um in my personal life is um showing up as a leader is helping my helping my kids they're doing some pretty amazing things and just so pleased to be working with them and helping them be better leaders. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that so much. All right. So are you ready to move on to the quick question section? Sure. Yay. Oh, okay. All righty. So they, they start out a little more thoughtful and then they get kind of fun and silly because why not? We, we, we got a little of both in us. <laughs> First one, fill in the blank. Living authentically is. Okay. Those are like you said, that's the big questions. Living authentically is living consciously. Love that. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? (laughs) Take that first step. Take a step anyway. I love that. When's the last time you were courageous and how did you show up? Hmm. This time I was courageous. Wow, talk about a pause here. Hmm. I'm not even sure, Rosie. I'm going to think about that one. How, yeah, define courageous, right? Well, if you, so we use the definition that of Brene Brown, that courage is basically showing up authentically in the face of vulnerability. So uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So it doesn't, some people think of courage as a really grandiose thing. And really, I think courage is any time that we are showing up, being authentic, really, in the face of vulnerability. Sure, sure. Yeah, so the the last time for me would have been the book launch. 
and writing a book and you never know how it's going to be perceived in the world. So I did the book launch in the most authentic way I could with my girlfriends around the table, sharing those stories of and, and showing people that these amazingly successful authors around me are very authentic in how they show up and who they are. And they're just, we're all the same. That's awesome. I was going to say book launch is hugely courageous. And yeah. The fact that there's so many personal stories in this book is also hugely crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I have to say that felt a little naked, right? right uh, naked. Oh, I remember when Conscious Capitalism Press came back to us with like first draft and said, yeah, no, 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 we need more about you and your company. I was like, oh, but I'm good at telling other people's stories. Oh, like I was like, really? So I was like, okay, here you go. Careful what you ask for. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's what people connect to. So, you know, anyway. Yeah. Okay. What is, yeah. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? I think people would be surprised to know that, um, that I'd live pretty normal, um, live in a cottage, prefer to have one vehicle, prefer not to have uh, stuff. We're really a small footprint, um, kind of family. And people assume because you're a CEO and you're doing this and going these places that you, you live much uh, differently than that. Totally see that. And you get that in the book too. So I love, I love that. So this one, uh, speaking of, you know, simple one car, but this is kind of if reality was no object, right. And you weren't going to hurt the earth or anything, just kind of like put, put, put out a magic wand for a moment. I call this the four C's. So what car would you want to drive? What country would you want to visit? What cuisine would you want to eat? And it doesn't have to be related to the country. And what celebrity living or dead would you want to eat that cuisine with? (laughs) Okay. For a car, I've been thinking about getting um, a Tesla. Could totally see that about you. Yep. I think that's pretty cool. And I actually have employees that have done that. Nice. Uh, As far as going to a country... I deeply, deeply want to have a romantic trip with my husband around the French Riviera on mm. a boat. Nice. As far as cuisine, I love Northern European cuisine. So anything, anything Italian and Northern European, I, I absolutely love. That could happen any time of the day or night, and I will eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as uh, what, what was the last question? What celebrity living or dead would you want to eat your Northern European cuisine with? Oh, I know that. Reese Witherspoon. Night. I love her. Yeah, me too. Fantastic. That's <laughs> awesome. Amazing. And I'm sure we'd have some pink around there. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> a little, little Elle Woods action maybe coming out. So good. That's great. All right. Your favorite go-to movie. Favorite go-to movie. Geez, I'm not a TV watcher or a movie watcher. I don't have one. Who, who, who doesn't have a favorite go-to meeting? Or movie? Go-to movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I watch, I, I like the James Bond movies. We'll Good. watch those. Uh, me and my husband, yeah. All right. Nice. Your favorite go-to song? Favorite go-to song. Hmm. I don't, I don't know the name of them. <laughs> I listen to Spotify and it memorizes everything for me and, and makes, makes a playlist. So I have a playlist created of um, 
in different languages, people I don't even know. They're mostly meditation um, type songs, uplifting, very spiritual. Nice. Uh, probably one of the favorite um, that I've went to many times over the year is All God's Critters Got a Place in the Choir. Some sing, right. some sing higher. All right. I can totally see that. So how about this? Your signature dance move. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well my whole family has this down including my grandkids and I do this this dance move and it looks somewhat like a handicapped individual and I've been doing it since I've been a kid and our family calls it Louie Goody because I had a friend in school his name was Louie Goody and he was uh, developmentally disabled and I would dance the same way he danced and we'd have an absolute blast and every every time I do it my heart opens and there's joy oh nice I love that Next time we can see each other in person, you're going to yeah. have to show it to me for sure. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Um, okay. In another life, your job or career would be? A, a teacher of teachers. I could see that. Totally could see that. What's something, and I say something lightly because it doesn't actually have to be a thing, but what's something you can't live without? Insects. <laughs> Well, if, if you understand the story behind EarthKind, that'll make complete sense to you if, if you're listening to me. What? Um, love it. Something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Um, smiling. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? Family. Love that. Love that. Well, Carrie, it is always so uplifting and just awesome to spend time with you. And I just, I'm so excited for your book. And so everyone, please go out and get her book. It will just so many good nuggets in there and super excited to help promote that. And just for what you're doing with EarthKind, what you're doing to change the face of entrepreneurship and capitalism and just what you're really doing to help encourage others to be more authentic. Just thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. Oh, thank you, Rosie. It was my pleasure to be with you today. Your smile is amazing. Oh, thank you. Your voice, too. It's musical. Love, 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 love. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Show Up as a Leader. If you haven't yet subscribed, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Rosie Ward, and you can find me online at drrosieward.com, where you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter, check out the books I'm reading, and hear from the people I'm talking to. You can also get more information on what I'm up to professionally, including my coaching and speaking services. You can also find me on LinkedIn at rward, Facebook and Instagram at drrosieward, or email me at rosie at drrosieward.com. And I just want to remind you to remember that you have the choice every day to show up as a leader. So choose courage over comfort, embrace your humanity, and never, ever dull your sparkle. Take care, everyone.